Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we talk about oil, we talk about diesel, we talk about lots of other things. Today, we're going to be speaking with somebody who has access to the proof of a good chunk of the spending that is going on in the trucking industry. His name is Bobby Holland. He's with U.S. Bank. They process the, a lot of invoices that trucking companies send to them, and so he knows what demand is like. He's going to be here in just a few minutes. As far as oil, I have absolutely nothing new to report on the price of oil. It's pretty much where it was a week ago, so we're just going to pass on talking about the price. But I do want to talk about two other developments that occurred this week because I think they are very relevant to the long-term future of the oil industry in the U.S. And as we know, the trucking sector, the transportation sector, the rail sector are all very dependent uh, to different degrees on energy. So first, we're going to talk about always controversial Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as AOC for short. She's looking at budget negotiations as a way to slow the construction of new oil and gas pipelines in this country. She's going to propose an amendment that, if approved, would block the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers from taking several steps that would be needed to allow the construction of an oil or gas pipeline. That now is the strategy of the anti-oil left, fight pipelines. There have been some successes in the courts. One big natural gas pipeline that was going to go into the Northeast, that project was recently scrapped because the opposition to it made its long-term success questionable. A U.S. court recently ordered the shutdown of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which comes out of North Dakota, bringing crude oil from the Bakken field into the middle of the country and then down onto the Gulf Coast. That court ordered a new environmental review. The line is still operating for now, but obviously it's in question. And, of course, the Keystone XL crude pipeline from Canada into the U.S. has been a target for years the original plans would have had it run up and running by now, bringing Canadian and North Dakotan crude down to the U.S., but I think what happened with Keystone XL shocked everybody. Uh, when it was first announced, everybody assumed it was a slam dunk. It would be approved like so many other pipelines, and it remains unbuilt. So it was interesting to read a story this past week by S&P Global Platt's longtime editor, Star Spencer, about the earnings call that Hess Oil had with its analysts this week. Hess is a major producer of oil in the Bakken in North Dakota, and a shutdown of the, of the Dakota Access Pipeline could have a major impact on it. So would it need to shut in production? That was the question that was posed to CEO John Hess. So the answer was revealing. He said if the DAPL line is shut in, that's what it's known as, there are other pipelines. But what if they get shut in too? Well, then there's rail. And the quote from John Hess was, so it would not have a major impact on moving all of our production if DAPL were shut in, and the cost to us would be a few dollars per barrel. So a few thoughts from these two developments. I'd say, first of all, John Hess really kind of proved it. Truly locking oil into the ground by various blocking steps is extremely difficult to do. Because what happens then is that even if it occurs for a little while, it ends up boosting the price of oil higher. And now the economics of moving oil to market by rail suddenly look better and better because the price is so high. Believe me, the executives at railroads are salivating at the prospect of pipelines being shut in, giving them more business. There's a problem, though, with that. Moving oil by rail is significantly more dangerous than doing it by pipeline. You think of the 2013 derailment in Quebec that killed almost 50 people. The train went off the tracks. It basically turned into a rolling fireball, just a horrible tragedy. There really has never been a crude oil pipeline accident like that in recent history. Maybe if we went way back, we could find something. And, you know, you hear these stories 
about gas, uh, gasoline pipelines in places like Nigeria, where people tap the pipeline to try to steal gasoline and it explodes and kills a whole bunch of people. But you know that has not happened in North America. There's really nobody in this business who would ever argue that transporting crude oil by rail is as safe as moving it by pipelines. From the perspective of the trucking industry, if pipeline construction is blocked, that's a lot of flatbed business hauling pipe, hauling other equipment, heavy equipment that's going to be constrained. You know, trucks and railroads might be natural rivals, and it doesn't stop at just pulling traditional freight. You can see the competition in the pipeline versus rail playing field in the oil patch as well. And the competition will go on. The oil will come out of the ground. It may be more expensive to be transported, and then consumers will pay the cost. But it is going to come out of the ground. My other thought about all this, uh, looking at AOC's uh, fight to stop pipelines, is that there is an entire generation of politicians who have never been in office during a spike in the price of gasoline or diesel. If you were elected to Congress in 2014 or after, you've had nothing but low prices during your entire career. You really have to go back to 2008 when the price of gasoline and diesel was high enough to really be an issue. Right around the July 4th weekend that year, it hit its all-time high, not just in, in outright numbers, but also adjusted for inflation. So memories are short, but mine is not. I have been through several gasoline and diesel price spikes, and when they happen, they immediately become the biggest issue in the country. They're certainly going to be the biggest issue for the trucking sector if we have a a spike. What if the next spike in the price of oil is created by a lack of infrastructure, a willful lack of infrastructure, rather than a temporary squeeze in supplies? Will a generation of anti-pipeline politicians suddenly start seeing the benefit of pipelines? Pushing back on pipelines is not going to convert the energy economy of the U.S. or the world to alternative fuels. They will, however, drive prices higher. They will result in oil being transported around the country in rail cars, where they can derail instead of in a much safer underground pipeline. This is a feel-good, lose-lose proposition for the economy, except, of course, for the rail industry. Nothing wrong with railroads, but going from transporting crude oil via pipeline to transporting it by rail, and believe me, that is what's going to happen, is like having the world's maritime fleet go back to sails and away from oil. It is most definitely not a step forward. Okay, we're going to shift gears here on Drilling Deep, as we always do after the first few minutes. We're going to bring in our guest for this week. You know, there are so many ways to try to determine the state and the strength of trucking markets. Freight rates are one way, but they're not always real time. And with so many lanes, you can never be sure what to look at as the key indicator. Company earnings are quarterly, so there's always a lag there, though LTL companies do release intra-quarter updates, so that helps a little bit. And of course, here at FreightWaves through Sonar, we have our very own, very real-time outbound tender rejection index, the OTRI and the outbound tender volume index, the OTVI, and they both certainly have been pointing to a tightening market of late. But it's always interesting to look at as many indicators as possible. Um, We've got a new one today we're going to talk about. Maybe it's not new, but it's new to me, certainly new to talking about on Drilling Deep. We have with us today to talk about about it is Bobby Holland. And Bobby is the Vice President and Group Product Manager and Director of Freight Data Solutions at U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank is one of the biggest lenders, in the, particularly in the factoring space, to the trucking industry. His current focus is in analytics and data-related product management for the freight industry. So, Bobby, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Oh, thank you for having me. 
Okay, so your index, um, why don't you talk about a little bit, it's quarterly, uh, what's the name of it, and what's the methodology you use for putting it together? It's the uh, U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index, and it's our perspective on the marketplace uh, taken from um, our own uh, Sincata freight audit and payment data. Now, the impetus behind the, the, the freight index um, is to, again, just show you know, that we know the data, uh, the data that we have, uh, that we understand the marketplace, and to just demonstrate you know, some of our capabilities. Uh, again, my team is tasked with coming up with uh, data products. Um, as far as how the index was put together, uh, again, it's an analysis of our data quarterly basis. Uh, we, to simplify things a bit, we basically do a same store sales type an analysis between quarters uh, so that it's more of a reflection of or an indication of the marketplace rather than U.S. bank uh, business success, if you will. So we apply you know, st statistical analysis to our data. We compare previous quarter to uh, current quarter, and uh, we also compare year over year, and we have the index numbers uh, that we publish on a quarterly basis. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I asked you to say a quarterly basis, but are you compiling that? daily, weekly, during the quarter, or is it just you sit down at the uh, the start of a, with one quarter done in the books, you start another quarter, do you then do it? Or are you seeing these trends, you know, pretty much real time as the quarter unfolds? We do ours, we gather the data monthly, but we process it quarterly. And, and, and the reason we do it that way is it gives us a measure of granularity, uh, particularly when we come to the regional basis. Uh, and, yeah, you know, we may change that in the future, but right now that's the way that we compile it. All right. So the second quarter is well in the books. Uh, it's earnings time. Companies are saying, I, I think the general consensus is, of course, April was a disaster. May was okay. June was good enough that people are starting to say June this year was better than June of last year. And they're also saying, from what I heard on a lot of calls, that July has continued the trend. What does your data show? Um, our data shows uh, similarly. We saw that uh, things started to open up. We knew that that second quarter was, as you put it, going to be a disaster. Uh, just from the standpoint that that's when the the stay-at-home order started kicking in, uh, middle of March, uh, which means that the full impact wasn't quite felt during Q1. Uh, Q2 was going to bear the brunt of, of that as those orders began and as uh, carriers and shippers started making decisions to adapt uh, to to that situation, so and we can see that reflected in the numbers. Um, so, you know, we so, see so that. Oh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> how is your How is your index um, described? It's is it like a you know base of a hundred? Is a you know two thousand and twelve or something? How is How is it uh, settled? It's a chain based index, uh, chain to the previous quarter. Uh, it, we started calculating it from data in two thousand ten. We started, the data goes back to 2010. We started the, the index uh, about three years ago, but we calculated all the way back to 2010, but it's a, a quarterly chain-based index. So each previous quarter is the, the base 100, if you will, um, for the next quarter. All right. So what was the comparison first quarter to second quarter? Well, for the, from the national side, we saw that uh, the shipment index decreased 7.6%. Um, and 13.7% uh, on the spend index. 
I see. Now, so what, that, would that indicate that that volume is down about seven point six percent, but the amount of money to move, let's say, you know, a ton of freight is down thirteen percent? Is that a gross oversimplification on my part? Um, that's no, that's a fair that's a fair amount. The 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 shipment index, you know, again talks about the the velocity of the volumes, the change in volume, and so to your point, yeah, the the volume of shipping uh, decreased seven point six percent. But it was also the the amount spent to ship that volume um, decreased by twice as much. Wow, interesting. So um, you you talked about regional basis. You know, shipping, of course, the trucking market is a it is a regional market, but it's also a national market at any time because capacity can move easily from one part of the country to another depending on fluctuations. How big a variety would you think you might find sometimes in your regional indices? Uh, well, we tend to see just what you said, you know, different regions have different impacts. And so, you know, you look at the national perspective and you kind of get, you know, I won't call it the average, but call it the average of the, all of the, the regions. But then when you look at each individual, re- each individual region and you see the specific influences upon those regions, you get a different picture. For example, you know, seeing that the Southwest actually had a, a slight gain um, in shipments versus, and it was the only one to actually have a gain. Uh, and usually it's the Southeast that, that does uh, better than the other uh, four regions, but we saw the Southwest actually picked up uh, a little bit in shipments. Do you, any, any guess as to why? I mean, do you kind of put, try to put some kind of analysis on these numbers? Um, yeah, let me, let me flip over there. Um, the Southwest was helped because of, um, their approach to COVID-19, you know, most of the states in that region uh, were the last to uh, and more selective in surgical in the way that they, they managed it. They were the last to put in sh- uh, any kind of a shutdown order. And again, uh, I believe they were more surgical about it. So because of that, the economic uh, activity didn't slow down as much. And then secondly, there's more, um, as things are picking up on the Mexican side of the border, there's more freight activity uh, from the southern border, and that kind of helped give it a uh, uh, buoy it up a bit. But that already raises the question: and if we had this conversation in October, whether you would see a complete reversal of that, because of course the Southwest is needing to close down because the virus has been so bad there, while the Northeast is. You can argue about the level of opening up, but certainly the virus is a lot more under control up in the Northeast where you and I are located uh, than it was a few months ago. So would you expect maybe to kind of see a significant change in the data when you do the third quarter numbers? Uh, That's something we'll be looking out for because, again, you know, another impact on the third quarter is, you know, going into, you know, when the, the, the virus first hit and then decisions were made, adaptations uh, to the to the new current normal uh, were made in the marketplace. And then as those things continue to shift, to your point, as the virus um, continues to have an impact in various ways uh, across the country, uh, you know, there's going to be more adaptation. And some of it is going to be, you know, in response to things opening up and freight, you know, more freight moving as a result of that. And then, you know, as well, there may be some contractions uh, depending on how they, they react to it. They're talking you know, we see in the news that they're talking about there won't be another shutdown. But again, what does that really mean? That's the thing that we're going to be looking to see just how those things sort themselves in Q3. 
All right. Um, the the data you you draw from. I mean, I'm, I've got a figure. I've got a, a guess in my head where it's coming from, given the activities of U.S. Bank. But maybe you can talk about a little more. You do have massive data points, I'm sure, uh, that uh, U.S. Bank processes that you can use to produce things like these indices. Can you talk about what you've got? Yeah, the, the main uh, source of data for the freight payment index is from our Sincata Freight Audit and Payment System. Uh, we process over $28 billion annually in payments as of, as of now. Uh, and as you can imagine, that generates a lot of data between our, our, uh, from the activities of our shippers and our carrier base. And that's the data that we use. Um, our index is primarily based on truckload and less than truckload data because that comprises about 80% of the uh, shipping data that we process. And so that's the, the fundamentally where um, the current generation of the index uh, gets its data. Right. And, and all, the, all the data that you process would have presumably the weight of the shipment um, and uh, as well as the, the, the money paid for it, because that's going to be in the payment. So, so you've got very precise data, don't you? We do. We do. Okay. What do you do with this index? I mean, it's great. I'm, yeah, I'm so glad to have made my acquaintance with it. We in the media love numbers. We love numbers that show how markets are going, particularly when they're you know, less than, they're not as transparent as certainly the price of gasoline or diesel out on the corner. Um, but so we're always looking for, for new indicators of the strength of markets. What do you do with this number? Let's say from a business perspective, or is it just kind of a, a, a thought leadership type of number that helps build the U.S. bank profile? Well, it is it is a, a, a thought leadership. It was the first product that my you know newly relatively new team uh, came to market with, and but our customers, you know, we find that this data helps our customers to to. It's another data point in planning. We don't you know consider necessarily that we're the end all and be all um, of this type of data, but we are another perspective. We are a, a different perspective. You know, we're a strong and unique perspective on the marketplace. You know, there are other index indices out there. And again, you know, our customers tend to use them together to help in their planning and decision making. And we believe that adding the regional approach uh, to our index kind of gives just, again, a different perspective that enables to help t- that enables them to, to tailor those decisions accordingly. How granular is the regional approach? You've mentioned it here, but are we talking about four regions or 40? Uh, we've got five regions. Okay. And why don't you talk about what they are and also how they did last quarter? Okay. I mean, we've got, we talked about the Southwest. So how about the other regions of the country? Okay. So we have uh, the West region. And um, as you can well imagine, that's starting in California, basically the West Coast, uh, and going over to, um, let's say, New Mexico and end up. Um, the West saw um, was the second best region that uh, from our data, uh, second best sequential second quarter results. It was only down 1.8 percent um, in shipping. Um, I'm sorry, in spend and in, in, uh, down 15 percent. Uh, sorry, I'm stepping on myself here. Yeah, uh, 1.8 percent in the shipment index for the quarter and. Uh, 15.7% over last year, um, the spend index was down 7.5%. And this was largely due to California flattening the curve a little ahead of a lot of other states, although you know we've seen in the news that there are some hotspots uh, popping up. But generally, they handled the, the virus uh, fairly well, and so therefore, um, 
didn't have to slow down their uh, activity as much as um, other uh, regions did. Okay. How about other part? How about how about the Northeast? I mean, that was obviously the area hardest hit. Um, the Northeast um, was considered an epicenter for COVID nineteen, and so as a result, the index contracted. The shipment index contracted almost thirteen percent from Q one and twenty five percent from a year earlier. Uh, the spend index was down almost thirteen percent as well uh, from the previous quarter, and over twenty six percent from last quarter. And that's again because it uh, was one of the hardest hit uh, regions. But you know they're starting to adopt a regional approach. You know that you, you've seen again in, uh, news articles and news reports about how uh, the northeastern states are banding together to try to, as a region, um, keep the the virus under control. And so uh, the expectation is that they may spring back um, pretty strongly, assuming that those efforts continue to to, to bear fruit. Okay. Um, what, uh, how, how did the Midwest do? Um, Midwest was down five and a half percent, uh, 13.5 from a year earlier and spending was down 11%, uh, falling 21% from a, a year earlier. Now, one thing I want to preface this all with is to say that, you know, if you look, especially if you look at like the, the visual for, uh, on the freight payment index for the national level, um, Things are not as dire as these huge uh, falls might seem to be because the index was, you know, from 2019 and 2018 was actually running at a high, uh, a high velocity. It's a while these are taking some, some huge hits. It's, it's falling from a, you know, it's falling from a, a fast pace. And so that's why, you know, even though we've got some issues um, coming out from under the virus, um, you know, the country isn't in, in, in the, in the tank yet. So just want to make sure that we put the right, uh, level of, 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 uh, articulation on the, on the, on those points. Right. Now I spoke to a colleague of yours, uh, Mr. John Harden, um, a few weeks ago to do a story about the, what I referred to as the cafeteria style, uh, payments offering, um, at, um, uh, at U.S. Bank. And he did talk about some of the declines in numbers in the volume that the, you guys handled, I guess, uh, quarter to quarter. But this mm-hmm. is set up still, I would imagine, that your volumes, e- even when they take a big hit like they did in the in the quarter just ended, there's still so much volume of data that you can still put this together. Um, yes. And, and like I said, we, we um, analyze it to factor out seasonality and spikes. And again, we we process it so that again it doesn't ref- reflect um, U.S. bank business. We're not measuring U.S. bank business. We're measuring, we're extrapolating what the marketplace is doing from our business, and so that that's the difference. Um, we still, you know, process terabytes of data, uh, and so you know, even if volume shipping volumes, we're still processing, you know, billions of dollars in payments. It may not be up to you know thirty billion. In 2020, we don't know those numbers yet, but we're still processing uh, because, again, the trucking industry hasn't halted. We're still um, we're still processing. Things are still moving. All right. So you talked about data here, which is all really kind of uh, backward looking. What do you got on the agenda for the third quarter? What are you seeing so far? If if you are looking at data so far and what are your thoughts? Um, Not really. Not really um, going to, to forecast anything. I'll just tell you the things that we're going to be looking for. 
um, maybe semantics. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the expectation, the general expectation, the general um, um, thoughts uh, from everything that's going on are what we're going to be looking for is some measure of recovery. Um, a lot of that, in especially on the regional level, is going to track very closely to um, how the virus goes, uh, and also you know the reactions to the virus. Um, you know, there's obviously there's going to be a difference if there's another even partial shutdown versus um, you know soldiering through and with more caution. Um, but we're looking for things to to start to pick up as we go towards the end of the year. Um, you know, online sale, online retail is still strong. You know, I think that's become part of the new normal. So people are very comfortable with with ordering goods online. So they're in some sense, um, trucking that's associated with, with online retail is going to still uh, be strong. Um, service industries, as those continue to pick up and depending how well and and how they sustain, um, that's going to also uh, show signs of improvement because that was one of the hardest hit areas when things completely shut down. No restaurants, um, you know, no movie theaters. You know, nothing in, involving any kind of real food service, no hotels. So we're looking for those things to, to, to cautiously pick up as well. Um, those well, are the biggest ones. Manufacturing starting to pick up. Housing starts. Construction never really um, halted. So, and, you know, as people feel comfortable in, you know, in spending, you know, spending funding, you know, housing may p- continue to pick up as well. But again, the it's all going to depend on the reaction to the virus as we sort through hot spots and, and flare ups. Well, we shall hope so. As I said, I mentioned earlier, the earnings calls for the quarters, which are well underway, and they've all been pretty bullish on uh, what they've seen in July. So let's let's hope that lasts. And I want to thank Bobby Holland of U.S. Bank for joining us today to talk about their index uh, that measures the strength of the market from U.S. Bank, which is a major uh, processor of, uh, of financial records, of payments for the trucking industry. You've been listening to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is one of the Freightcasts in the family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. You can find us on FreightWaves.com. We do hope you will listen again. I'm John Kingston.